Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Hello and welcome back again to our important election message from Faith Family Church. My name is Sean McFarland and next to me is Neil Barnt. And uh, what you are watching is actually part three of a six-part video series entitled Behind the Curtain, Exposing the Spirit of the Antichrist. Neil, would you pray for us as we start? Yeah. Father God, I just thank you again as that we come together and that we continue to be open to the words that you have for us. God, I just thank you that as, as Sean and I speak today, that you would give us the words to speak and that you would impact hearts that are listening, God, and that this message would be from you and that your message would go throughout this land. I thank you that you're continuing to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Lord placed this series of messages on my heart shortly after the COVID-19 pandemic and then, of course, uh, the unrest that we've had across the nation with the different civil things that we've been dealing with. This series is designed to stir the hearts of believers to a place of active faith in their involvement in government, both locally and nationally. We will do this by presenting truths from the scripture concerning the influences of the spirit of Antichrist and how they have an effect through the natural government structures in the earth. Our experience over the last several months has left many confused and full of fear. More than anything, that we have realized that no matter what the problem is that we are facing, it is vital that we have the right people governing us. And so as we move into this third point, I'm not going to review everything that I did from before, but I know the Lord had dealt with me and, and dealt with has dealt with many ministers about paying attention to where we're at in this whole uh, structure of the return of Christ and where we're at in our nation and the importance of maintaining freedom and not losing liberties um, through uh, abuses in government. Basically, um, we talked about in Proverbs 29 two, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked man, when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Uh, we talked about the importance of, of having people that are, that are in a position of being motivated from righteousness, that they have the spirit of Christ in them leading us. Um, and then we also looked at uh, second or uh, Song of Solomon two verse fifteen. It says, "Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes." And we looked at the at the uh, uh, from that standpoint the fact that um, on a national level righteousness can be governing, but at a local level where we're at here in Montana, you can have decisions that are made through an individual who doesn't have the spirit of Christ in them, doesn't believe in God, whatever the case may be. Um, and they make decisions that affect us believers uh, in a negative way. And we need to be aware of that and to be aware of the fact that, hey, we can change this. We can do something about it. We can vote. We can have our voice be heard. And we have the right to do so, that we are uh, aware of the spirit of Antichrist, that we fear God first. We do honor people and we honor those in authority. Uh, we fear uh, God and honor him above all, that God's laws are the standard above man's laws. And then, you know, of course, we've gone into uh, some of the history of our nation, the Bill of Rights, those type of things, and uh, applying spiritual, scriptural truths uh, in our activity in government. If that's, I, mean, I guess I can say it that way, uh, that makes sense. But using our rights, our freedoms, all those things to um, 
without just sitting back and allowing other people who don't have the beliefs we do or don't follow Christ or who function in the spirit of Antichrist to take over um, in some sort of weird uh, sovereign doctrine uh, that doesn't actually make sense in, in context of Scripture, but using our authority, using our voice, using the avenues that we have around us to be able to uh, influence the culture and even in the government level. And so we want to do that. And part of, as Christians, we combat the spirit of Antichrist, not only through our daily lives, but through the, le the legal rights that we have in government in voting and, and deciding what the laws are that are on the books. And so I want to start out uh, today and through this particular series that with this statement, Christians should understand their government and its laws. And Romans, uh, well, let's see, I might have skipped a page. I did. Uh, Acts chapter 22, verse number 22. Neil, do you want to just read? Um, I'm, this is an example. I should preface this with this before you read that. Um, this is an example of Paul using his rights as a citizen of Rome. And so believers who say, well, I'm not going to vote because what's going to happen is what's going to happen. I'm not going to use my voice because, you know, God is in control and he controls all these things. And uh, there's nothing really much said about government or anything like that in the scriptures, which is really it's just ignorance on that subject. You need to be aware of that. Um, I want to share some scriptures with you that prove otherwise in hopes that you see the light of these scriptures and then you're motivated by the Holy Spirit to make to, to make a change there. So Acts 22, verse 22, um, if you want to start there and we'll go down through this. Sure. So it, it says that, and they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Sounds familiar. Hmm. <laughs> then they cried out and tore their clothes and they threw dust in the air. The commander ordered them to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging, i.e. beat. Yes. So that he might know, so he might know why they shouted against him. And they bound him with throngs. Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man? who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned. Yeah. So what do we see here? We see a, a preacher, the apostle Paul. So many of us, you know, as Christians, we know he wrote two thirds of the new Testament. The Holy spirit did through him and he's a minister and he's using his understanding of the law to help him in this situation. And he's not, he's not saying back, he's not sitting back as some would, would, would argue in, in the church today that, you know, God is in control of everything. I'm just going to let this thing happen. Uh, you know, God knows I'm just going to pray. He didn't just, uh, uh, after preaching the gospel, which is why he got himself into this position in the first place. But after preaching the gospel, he didn't just sit back and go, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. He intentionally he understands the law that he's under as a roman citizen and he exercised his right within the boundaries of that law to prevent him from being beat unlawfully and um we're going to see here as we go down to verse 26 um you know uh that that uh, it puts some uh, attention on the leadership of that day go ahead and read if you would verse 26 sure so and, it says when the centurion heard that he went and told the commander, saying, 
take care of what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came to him and said, tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. <laughs> and Paul said, but I was born a citizen. And then we see here in verse, uh, go ahead and finish through verse 29. Sure. Then it said, immediately those were about to examine him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. So he had bound him without finding out whether he was innocent or not. In other words, it looks like this Roman uh, uh, leader uh, in this particular case, this commander, um, he was violating actually the law that he was supposed to be enforcing. And Paul, through his understanding of the law, was able to um, change the direction of what he was going to do. You know, they, the Bible's real nice. It uses the word examine. What it means is remove skin so that you tell the truth. In other words, they're going to put inflict pain upon this man, uh, upon Paul, prior to knowing anything about the situation, hoping to just get the truth right away, you know? And so, um, but what we see is we see Paul using the laws of his day and that he was under in order to not only protect himself, but then also, uh, basically, it ended up holding this commander to a place of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so as Americans, we have this same right. We can use the laws of our land. Now, this is something that you, uh, the audience would have to go and, and look up themselves. But if you, if you go to uh, any sort of law firm that specifically deals with defending the Christian faith, you'll see that we win a lot of cases. Now, what you will not see is the news media cover that. They won't because they don't want you to know the truth. They, they have a, most of the news media is swallowed up in the spirit of Antichrist. And they call it liberty. They call it freedom. They call it uh, um, uh, love. All of these things, but it's not. They call it acceptance. They call it you know all the all the phrases, the words that they take and manipulate the definition of them, and turn them into something that they weren't originally intended for. Um, they'll, they'll say those things and do those things. So they won't report on how Christians are winning in court, how, uh, religious freedom is being maintained, all of those things. But we do see also through the process of this and understanding the spirit of antichrist that very simply we could lose those things quickly if we don't have the right people in office. I mean, just by the fact of, um, by the fact of the two Supreme Court justices that President Trump has has put into off or into into position at this point, we can see how things could quickly go one way or the other without the right person in office. And so I want to I want to go down here and and move into Romans chapter thirteen, and um, and I want to read through Romans chapter thirteen and look at a couple of things there, and then read through something that I found in the Founders Bible uh, on original the original intent of Romans 13, and bring a different perspective. There are many uh, ministers, I don't know if it's the majority or not, I can't speak to that specifically, that have the belief that Romans 13 is this overarching passage of Scripture that whatever government is in place, whoever is in that place of authority, whoever and whatever laws they come up with, that the church is just to dutifully follow those that person no matter what they come up with. And I, I, I think it st 
stems from, I really believe this, uh, particularly, it stems from the idea of God is sovereign. He's in control of everything, and we don't have any say. We're just supposed to sit back and, you know, dutifully bounce along and hope we make it to heaven one day. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I'm going to bring a different take on this because, honestly, let's just take it to here first. Let's assume for a second that that perspective is right, that you're just supposed to follow any leader that's over you and do what they say no matter what, and that you're not supposed to fear God first. That this scripture that Paul uh, penned by the Spirit of God actually is Paul saying, you know, I, you should never counter anything that a leader says. First of all, we know from the last session that we did that Paul didn't even obey and from that standpoint. Okay, and neither did the early church, the apostles. Um, but secondly, let's just assume that that was the case. That would mean God was authoring, authoring evil. Not only that, if evil's coming through these leaders, not only that, that would mean that our founding fathers actually didn't follow God in the founding of this nation because they weren't submitting to the leaders that were over them, even though. The leader at that time, which multiple, not only the church of that time, but then also the 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 uh, king and and those in authority at that time, were changing scripture. They were they were throwing out stuff they didn't like and adding things that they wanted, you know, to main to make sure that they could maintain the control over the people that they desired. And so, um, if if it's interpreted the way some people think, that would be the case. But I want to present this to you differently. Uh, Romans chapter 13, and I'm actually just going to read through this quickly so we can get over into what you're, you're going to share on governmental structure today, Neil. But Romans 13, 1, and I'm going to read down through verse 7, uh, initially says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Boy, that should be a that should stand out in this for those people that that uh, that claim that you're just supposed to submit to whatever authority is over you, because rulers, according to Paul, are supposed to be a terror to those who do evil, not mm -hmm. to those who do good works. Yeah, not assisting evil. Right, not not enforcing evil with law and. And enforcing, you know, you 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 hear stories about, um, you know, uh, uh, schools in different states. It hasn't happened in this state, but schools in different states being that is a Christian school being raided by police because they're teaching something against homosexuality that the world says is right. That's not a terror to good to evil. That's a terror to good works. And that's not what that's not something that the church should submit to. He says this, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. So where is the standard of good being set for the church? The standard of good is set by the scriptures. It's not set by the government over the top of us. The government is not God. The government is a represent the government is a structure that is set, authority structure that is set by God, but depending on who's in the authority structure determines whether or not we submit to what they say. So 
there are people that say, well, we should just submit and just get along and be at peace. And eventually this will all go away. No, if we allow certain people into office, if we allow certain legislature legislators in office and, and laws being written and governors, uh, senators, uh, house of representatives, all these different ones, congressmen, if we mayors of cities, if we allow them in, and vote in those who are against God, they will take God out of everything that we do in the sense of the le the legalities of it. Now, we're still going to function with God no matter what because we have a standard set. Um, but we need to be aware of that. For he, verse 4, for he is God's minister for to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. Well, if we're not doing evil, we shouldn't be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. The vain, the sword is not for those who do good. It's for those who do evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Conscience to what? And wrath of who? Wrath from the Lord. Well, we're not under wrath. If we're obeying God, we're not under wrath. That sword is not a wrath, uh, is not a, a sword of wrath from the Lord if we're doing good. It's a sword of wrath for evil, not a sword of wrath for doing for doing good. And so we need to keep these things in mind. So it says this for conscience sake, of course, as well, but conscience to God, verse six, for because of this, you also pay taxes. So there's nothing wrong with paying taxes for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. We're not going to get into taxes, but there is stuff there that could be got into render therefore to all their dues taxes to whom taxes are due and customs to whom customs fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor well we already know from the previous uh uh thing that we that the series that we did in this the second series that we did in this that um we're to fear god and honor the king mm -hmm. not fear the king or fear the president or whatever we're to honor those offices which we do but we're not to fear them so i want to read this and then we can get into what you're talking about here as far as structure of government and this is going to be um a little bit of a read here but listen closely if you would this will take you back to um this is actually from the founder's bible and it's a commentary on romans chapter 13 and uh, uh, by David Barton, the Founder's Bible is done by David Barton, which is Wall Builders. If you want to check them out, I highly recommend them, wallbuilders.com. But um, this is a commentary on Romans 13 because there are those that, that state that our founding fathers were in rebellion because they weren't submitting to Romans 13. And so I thought this was very well done. The first of the two biblical positions embraced by most Americans was that Christians were forbidden to overthrow the institution of government and live in anarchy, but they were not required to blindly submit to every human law and policy. They wholeheartedly agreed that the institution of government was ordained by God, but understood that this did not mean that God had approved every specific government. Of course, the position was repeatedly validated through the Bible as God himself raised up leaders to fight against and throw off tyrannical governments. Biblical leaders such as Moses, Gideon, Ehud, Jephthah, Samson, and Deborah, who were subsequently praised for their actions, not just in the Old Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the New Testament, they were praised for it. Americans likewise understood that God had also ordained the church and family, but that this did not mean that every specific family or individual church was approved by him. Okay? So this is, you have to think. 
You know, I know sometimes Christians are like, well, I just don't, I just want to go to heaven, you know, someday. But you need to think. You need to take time. You need to, to know why you believe what you believe. It's very important. So God wanted government and civil order in a society. We see this in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. And he opposed anarchy, rebellion, lawlessness, and wickedness. Therefore, a crucial determination in the colonists' biblical exegesis of Romans 13 and related passages was whether opposition to civil authority was for the purpose of resisting the general institution of government or whether it was instead to resist tyrannical leaders who had themselves rebelled against God and were attempting to enforce behavior and policies that caused citizens to violate God's word. As founder, founding father John Quincy Adams explained, he, Jesus, spoke as one having authority. He said to his disciples, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. We see this in Matthew 11, 20, 29. But where did he ever say to them, learn of me, for I am tame and abject? There is certainly nothing more strongly marked in the precepts and examples of Christ than the principle of stubborn and inflexible resistance against the impulses of others to evil. I mean, that statement, I'm like, this is God-given. This is God-breathed. Evidence that the founding fathers believed they were not rebelling against God or resisting uh, ordained government, but rather only tyranny is seen in the 1776 motto proposed for the United States of America. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. That was their, that was their, um, we could use that today, you know. <laughs> Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. This was their ordained, uh, this was their, um, a statement in resisting ordained government, not in resisting ordained government, but rather tyranny. And so they had this motto, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. A motto summarizing the famous 1750 sermon preached by the Reverend D Dr. Jonathan Mayhew, a principal figure in the national revival known as the Great Awakening. So they established this from preachers. It's a wonder the government wants to shut me up. In certain places, it's no wonder they know the power. The spirit of Antichrist knows the power that is in the spirit of Christ and in ministers. You know, years ago, there was a, uh, uh, an army group called the Black Coats, and they were preachers who went to war for freedom. And uh, I'm not saying we're at war right now in the sense of we're not in the place of taking up arms against our own government or even against other people. But we are in a place where we need to be voting. And we need, because we don't want it to go the other direction. The second scriptural position overwhelmingly embraced by most Americans during the revolution was that God would not bless an offensive war. Any war initiated to coerce others or to take their land, rights, or property, however, God would bless efforts of self-defense against such offensive war. We see this in 2 Samuel 10, 12, Nehemiah 4, 13 through 14, and verse 20 through 21, Zechariah 9, 8. The fact that the American Revolution was not an offensive war undertaken by the Americans, but rather was an act of self-defense against British military attacks on the Americans remained a point of frequent spiritual appeal for the founders. The Americans had not fired the first shot, not in the Boston Massacre of 1770, the bombing of Boston and the burning of Charlestown in 1774, or in the attacks on Williamsburg, Concord, or Lexington in 1775. 
Illustrative of their belief that God would not bless an offensive war was the famous command to the Lexing Lexington Minutemen, don't fire unless fired upon. Significantly, for 11 years preceding America's separation from Great Britain, 1765 to 1776, America had diligently pursued recon reconciliation, offering documents such as their famous appeal of 1775 and the May 1776 Olive Branch Petition, each of which was submitted in a completely submissive and conciliatory tone. The Reverend Dr. John Witherspoon, a renowned theologian and signer of the Declaration of Independence, affirmed, on the part of America, there was not the most distant thought of subverting the government of or hurting the interests of the people of Great Britain, but on defending their own privileges from unjust encroachment. There was not the least desire of withdrawing their allegiance from the common sovereign, King George III, till it became absolutely necessary, and indeed it was his own choice. In other words, we weren't the offensive ones. Our founding fathers weren't the offensive ones. It was the, it was uh, Great Britain that was that we ended up having to be in this place. As Witherspoon noted, Great Britain had terminated the entreaties. It's, in fact, America's last two years of peaceful appeals had been responded to by armed military attacks. Thus, having been tired, having been fired upon while still actively seeking reconciliation, the Americans believed they had the biblical right to self-defense. In fact, the Reverend Peter Powers, in a famous sermon preached in front of the Vermont legislature in 1778, specifically noted that, the, that America had taken up arms in its own defense, that she had not initiated the conflict, but was only defending herself after being attacked. According to the founders, biblical understanding, because they were not attempting to throw off civil government, but instead were engaged in a defensive action, they believed they could therefore boldly approach God and humbly seek his aid and protection. They were fully cognizant that they would account to God for their actions, and so convinced were they that they would be held innocent before him that the flag of the Massachusetts Army proclaimed an appeal to God, and the flag of the Massachusetts Navy similarly declared an appeal to heaven. Very simply, the founders had examined the scriptures and were fully convinced that they were conducting themselves in a manner that was not rebellion to God, that they were not in violation of Romans 13. Today's claims to the contrary simply means the critics are either uninformed about the historical and theological writings from the Reformation through the Revolution, or that they disagree with the well-researched and well-informed biblical positions held by the theologians and ministers of the founding era. The same as if they had been Quakers in 1776 arguing with the Presbyterians or the Angl Anglicans arguing against the Congregationalists. In other words, even in that day, churches disagreed. They had difference of opinion. It's interesting in reading all these things, I found out from the very beginning, even when the Constitution and everything was established, there were revisionists, is what they called themselves then, who basically tried to rewrite history to say that America shouldn't be America, even in that time. And it's still till today. It's amazing to me. But what we see here is we see that it is necessary to understand government and the structure of it and how it works so that we can function within it in obedience to God first 
and then in honor to the government and to to man uh, that are in those positions. So you want to uh, break into the structure of the government along this line? and Yeah, definitely. So it's interesting because in the Constitution, it specifically outlines how the specific uh, functions of government should work. And a lot of people say, you know, it's a co-equal three branches of government. Uh -huh. If that was the case, why is it that the first branch of government that talks about the House of Representatives and the Senate has way more instruction in it than the next two, the presidency and then the judiciary, right. which have diminishing level of instruction in each case. So if that's the case, that they were supposed to be co-equal branches of government, why wouldn't they have defined each of them in a co-equal way? Right. So there are checks and balances, of course, but those checks and balances aren't to say that the Supreme Court is the final say of all actions in this country. It's to say that these are the established parameters for which this government can operate. Right. And so Congress said they must have the House of Representatives and the Senate. And there was ongoing debate when they were determining how this was going to be set up, because I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Constitution wasn't the actual first government in the United States. Hmm. They had what they called the Articles of Confederation. Oh, yeah. And in the Articles of the Confederation, it basically said the states get to decide what they get to do. And there are no real, you know, rules necessarily that a federal government can make overarching rules. And so hmm. it became very difficult when people started rising up and having rebellions or having disagreements to have. They uh, didn't have something. No, that static. structure wasn't yeah, there yeah. to make it so that the agreements could actually be settled without bloodshed. Right. And so it became very important that this defined structure of the House of Representatives and the Senate was put in place. And then not only that, but then it specifically an announces in a later article in the Constitution that the states are subject to the Constitution. Right. And so it defined the authority in a way that wasn't, a state could do whatever they want to and hope for the best, but the Congress makes laws that are over the states. And it's not just any law. There's actually specific enumerated things that Congress is allowed to make laws on. Hmm. And so Congress can't make laws on anything. They have to have a reason for it. And there's been a big push recently that um, some of the, the representatives have put in place uh, a law or an agreement in their rules that say uh, you have to list the specific enumerated power that this law you're proposing actually falls under. Right. Rather than just saying, oh, it's the good and plenty clause of, of the Constitution. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, well, what is that? There isn't one. Well, you know, good and plenty. Well, there's words in between good and plenty. So there is no such thing as that. So, right. you know, the original way that the Constitution was written defines a specific rule book for how it's supposed to function in government. So the president, it's interesting because, you know, the, the deference and the rules surrounding the executive branch of our government is really not all that defined in the constitution. So the, the president is supposed to do certain things. Right. And he's supposed to report to Congress. Right. And he's supposed to uh, commission all of the officers and things like that. But the president 
doesn't have a defined set of rules other than that he has to faithfully execute the Constitution. Right, right. And so there's a lot of presidents that have gotten into power and have a lot of ideas that they want to execute, but some of those ideas don't have a lot to back it up. And so that's where we have to push back against the government right. and say, you don't have the authority to do what you're doing. Right. And then... Which was designed to keep our government from a place of uh, royalty and serfs. Yes, yes, because it's supposed to be equal justice under right. the law. And the judiciary branch of the government is supposed to uphold the equal justice. Right. And so a lot of people think, oh, man, the, the Supreme Court, they are in there for life. Well, actually, they're in there for good behavior is what the Constitution says. Huh. So if a person that's on the Supreme Court doesn't have good behavior, they can actually be impeached just like they tried to impeach the president. Right. And have impeached other presidents before. Right. If there's reason to throw somebody out, they don't have carte blanche to say, I can be here forever. You, And so the, one of the reasons why the structure was set up the way it was is mm -hmm. because the House of Representatives, specifically at the time of the founding, was the closest branch of government to the people because they were directly selected by the people. Right. Originally, the senators were actually selected by each state, by the state governments. Okay. And and that was changed later in a constitutional amendment so that they were voted for by the people as well. And then the presidency is also voted by the for by the people, but the power associated with that is not as direct. And then the president, through the consent of the Senate, picks the people on the Supreme Court. So there's almost no consent other than the fact that you voted for the president. So you kind of get what you voted for at that so point. So if I'm hearing you right... The president is important, of course, mm -hmm. but the there's there's a, a a lot of importance that should be placed on everything lower all the way up to him. Yeah. So um, the the reason that they originally had said that the senators should be representatives of the state and not necessarily the people is because then they were duty bound to the state. Okay. And so then that meant that the people of New York would vote for the people that represent them in their state. Right. And then those people would then have people that they would have be senators that would represent the interests of the state. A lot of times now it's been converted into because they're popularity contests. Right. They pick people that have been in the Senate for years and years and years, and they may not have the best interests as heart for that specific state. It becomes well, we have to have the best interests at hearts for the party that we're involved in because that's how we maintain power. Right. And so it's really interesting um, that that was changed in a way in the Constitution because it really took away that level of authority that those states had and it was something that the states ended up giving up right. with that. And, and so the Constitution also has a process um, that says that the states have to honor the constitution and other states because there was a lot of infighting between you know, <laughs> who, who got to do what yeah. and you produce this. And so I don't like you and you didn't produce this. So I'm not going to support you. And so those types of disagreements aren't allowed by the constitution. 
there's a process for how to amend the constitution and what that takes. Right. And it's, it's not supposed to be an easy thing to amend the constitution. Right. So if they didn't make it easy to change it, then it shouldn't also in that same breath be easy to not understand why they wrote the words in the way that they wrote them. Right. It was specific. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also uh, instructions about how to deal with debts that this is the Supreme law that there's an oath to the Congress and that there is no religious test to be in government, basically. Right. right. And then the final thing was the ratifica ratification and the attestation that this is what we wanted. Constitution is in effect, right. basically. And so it's interesting that that structure was set up for the federal government and then a lot of the states then follow suit and have very similar structures and right. how they set up their state governments to kind of mimic the two chambers of lawmaking bodies and then the executive right. and the uh, judiciary branch of the government because the the constitution doesn't specifically line out any courts other than the supreme court hmm. all of the other courts that exist in our country today are because that's how congress made the laws okay for them to function right and so if you don't like how court works in this country, then you can actually get with your congressman and work on a solution right. to, to change that. Right. Because Congress could wake up tomorrow and say, we don't have these courts anymore. This is the new court system. Right. And the intention of that is, number one, it, it gives the accountability on the lawmakers, but it also helps promote justice. Right. Because if you number one, don't have the ultimate job security that you thought you did as a, as a <laughs> yeah. Supreme Court justice. That's a motivation. Then, yeah, as, <laughs> as any justice in this country, right. your job security is based off of, of the fact on whether you are equally applying the law. Right. And so if there's a problem, they can change the structure or they can change that this court doesn't even exist anymore. Right. It goes away and they can set up some new structure of court so again, it goes back to the voting of righteousness. If you have somebody in place that is going to pick people that have righteousness, then you're going to continue to dwell in that land of justice right? rather than emotion and this structure that is bent on, you know, the feelings of others. <laughs> the so, all important law of feeling. Yes. So our state government... <laughs> has has the same type of structure the legislative and executive branch and i i thought it was interesting in our state that it specifically calls out five different executive level positions okay and so there's the governor obviously right and then there's a lieutenant governor right there's a secretary of state which his main job is the record keeper right so all of the election uh ballot initiatives Data, and, all, that, yeah. and all of that information goes through his department and he's the one that is certifying the ballot. So okay. it's important that you have somebody in that office that's going to do the right thing when it comes to conflict or anything like that on the ballot. And then there's the attorney general, which is the legal officer for the state. Right. And so he is a lawyer, but he is specifically representing the state. So you want somebody that's going to be full of righteousness that's in that position right, exactly because the representation of the state is not only defined by the law of the state and the constitution but then it's also defined on 
what they pick up and promote in right. that office. Right. And so then there's also the superintendent of public instruction called out as an executive level. And that position is specifically over the public education system in the state. Right. And it's interesting that that's an executive level position, but in today's world, it seems like you hear news that there's infighting between the yeah, governor level and the, the school level. Yeah, specifically, specifically here. And he's not required to listen to a word that that executive position even though has, that person's even elected. though they're elected by the people of the state and also it's specifically outlined in the state constitution you know we should uh if we can touch on that for just a second mm -hmm. so this is why it's important who you have in the governor's position because you could have you know you could vote in somebody who stands for righteousness in that position of public instruction as far as the superintendent there that's over that. But from what we've seen, if we don't have the right person in the government, the governor's position, it's almost pointless because of, I mean, the, the, the superintendent has a voice, but if the governor doesn't include that voice, if they're not, if they're not a person of righteousness who would include that voice within the, the decision-making process, you're going to end up with things in your, in the decisions that come down that you don't like as a believer. And this is specifically to believers. That's what this is about. So that's why in understanding these things is so important. You need to understand that the governor is the one who appoints, has influence in county health officials in all of these things. Well, and so the governor actually has 20 departments outlined in the constitution that they specifically are appointing and okay. so anything that is not one of the five spelled out ones that are voted for right. he's appointing those officials and those were those executive positions yes. that you were talking about okay yeah so the the last one is the state auditor and they're basically the insurance and securities Correct. regulator so they the auditor phrase is kind of an, an yeah. old english basically, description of so it you don't get ripped off. Yeah. So yeah, they're not, <laughs> the they're not counting the pennies of the government or whatever. They're right. making sure that people aren't getting taken advantage of in Correct. the insurance and the And we live realm. in hailstorm areas. Yeah. So most people know about that. Yeah. <laughs> so then in Yellowstone County specifically, so part of the state constitution outlines the fact that there is a county level board of health. And that is specifically, um, put in place by this county commissioners. Correct. And so the county commissioners, there's three in Yellowstone County, and they establish the board, and they're mandated to establish the board in a way that has three-year staggering terms. And so if you don't okay. like the, the, the county board of health right now, you can't just flush it down the toilet according to Montana state law. You have to get those people in over time that – are going to live out righteousness and live out the the desired behavior. So um, the county commissioners can be part of the board or they can delegate. At a bare minimum, there has to be five people on it. Okay. And so they could put more people on it to have diverse opinion. They can have more people. And then so this uh, health board is the one that ends up uh, hiring and voting for the local health officer. Okay. And so when you get down to, I don't like what our county is doing, those people are not necessarily voted on, but you right. vote on the people that set up the board. Right. And you vote on the people that are in charge of making decisions for the county. So, and ultimately, 
the, the people in the state would make the laws that are effective for those as well. So specifically, as far as the county health official or whatever that we'll just say, because we're talking about that position, who what would you need to vote righteousness into in order to in what area in order to appoint righteousness to that? So because the county commissioners are the ones that are specifically over the health board, you need people on the health board that have righteousness. So you need the right type of county commissioners. OK, so the county commissioner is the position that you're. Yeah, specifically over the that the has a direct influence as far as local administrative. Okay. There's yeah. still specific state laws describing what that person has to do, right, and how they're to do their job and and right. that sort of thing. But overall, I mean, it it's it's not quite down to the dog catcher, but it's the the very people that you're voting for in your county and in your city, right, have just as much effect as who you voted for for the president or who you voted for for the uh, national congress and senators okay because those those individuals that are raised up locally a lot of times are the ones that they use as the farm for the higher level positions right. at state level so if you are finding people in your local area that have righteousness and right. they get raised up to that higher position then it's a lot easier to find people like that than if you only have one selection and it's i I'm mad about the selection again. I'm yeah. I'm mad about that we're voting for the lesser of two evils, or I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm voting for for somebody that I don't agree with. Well, right. if there's nobody on the bench that you would put in, right, then it's it's very difficult right. in, in those situations. Right. And so that kind of defines the structure that we are living in in Montana today and specifically in Yellowstone County, but it definitely emphasizes the point that. You know, in order to live under that structure, right, you have to be paying attention to all levels of the structure. Right, right. And so it's important as we're talking about here. And again, this is not designed to be an entire breakdown on the government structure, but to rather to give you general information and then you can go and dig um, for yourself to know more and more. But what we're seeing here is, is that it has a trickle down or a chain effect. So how you vote initially and the positions that you are able to vote on, you know, sometimes people think, well, I don't have the information. I don't have all of these things. Um, it's so confusing to me. Well, don't, don't, don't just be content to let it be confusing. There is so much information available online uh, now in regards to uh, um, understanding these things, even knowing about uh, what, the individuals that you're voting for. Mm -hmm. The information is so available. And actually in the next one that we're going to do, the, the fourth one, we're going to talk about character mm -hmm. in those that we elect. Um, and that'll be next time. But, but what we see here is, is we see that if we're going to, for one, we need to understand the government authority that we're under because we need to function in it as believers in righteousness. Secondly, uh, we see that Romans 13 is not a, a passage of scripture that basically says, you know, whatever's over you, just live with it. Mm -hmm. It's not what it is. It's not what they, it's not what it was intended. And then thirdly here in understanding structure of government, we see at least breaking into it, we see how each level and each part is of importance. If we're going to combat as believers, the spirit of antichrist, if we're going to be salt and light, which I, I, I personally believe that as long as the church is around, we're just going to be a constant thorn in the devil's side in 
hindering what he wants to do. I mean, it's just, I believe that that's biblically clear, but we can see that we need to vote in righteousness, which then in turn has this effect when the, when, when good leaders, when righteous uh, men and women are in authority, then the people will rejoice. And when they're not, the people will groan. And, um, and for those of us that are, that are uh, believers and, and following the Lord, we need to keep that in mind and continue to uh, uh, grow in this, be bold in it, walk it out, and then make sure we're ready come vote day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that a lot of emphasis isn't placed in us. You know, you you said earlier that when you talk about money or marriage or politics, right. somebody's going to get angry. Right. Well, some of the reason for that is that the education in right. our in our country doesn't emphasize those things. Right. They don't teach you how to m- even balance a checkbook, right. let alone what a stock is or why you would want one. Right. And the same thing is true in politics. You maybe had a government class in high school that glossed over this real quick yeah. and said that some old guys did something. <laughs> and if you don't take the time to educate yourself on your right. own, you're not going to get the information. And the truth and, of the matter is there's really no excuse not to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have more information today in our fingertips with the internet than anybody has ever had in their lifetime. But and it seems like less information in the people. Yeah, because it, <laughs> it's easier to trust in other people than it is to put it in yourself. It is. You're right. There's a laziness there that needs to be mm-hmm. rooted out. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. We and our and truly... Um, which is why there's been vote for change in different like public instruction, stuff like that. The truth of the matter is, is that the scientific uh, portions of education and science, these different things have really uh, brought in an emphasis of educating on emotion rather than educating on truth and fact. Mm -hmm. And so everything is geared toward, um, making sure that everybody's happy, that everybody feels okay, that no one's feelings are hurt, um, that, that, you know, nobody's insensitive when in actuality we need leaders in the church and in the political world that will rise up and say, look, there's a thing called being oversensitive as well. And, uh, truth does not sit on, on the, the side of my feelings need to feel good. Mm -hmm. Truth is is stout. It's something that, you know, sometimes your feelings aren't in line with truth. They need to be offended so that your feelings can get corrected. And uh, that's something that's just a reality, not only in the church, but also in the secular world. Now, we're not speaking specifically to those that are not saved. We're speaking specifically to those who are saved. And there's a lot of saved people who think their feelings are God and they're not. And so we need to be aware of that. Well, I think that wraps this one up for us. Yep. If there's something else you wanted, but uh, I'm going to pray and uh, um, this will wrap up the third one here for us. And then we'll be going into the fourth. Like I said, we're going to talk about character and leadership. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for uh, and we do. We pray for our leadership right now, Lord. You said that we're to pray for all people, but for those in authority. So we lift them up to you, Lord, Republicans, Democrats, all of them. And we ask that you minister to them and speak to them, Lord, that you are ministering by your spirit through the body of Christ, whether those be uh, uh, servants inside of our governmental structure that have contact with these leaders, but that righteousness would prevail, 
that you would stir in the hearts of the believers to vote righteousness in, and that we would see your hand, your hand move mightily in the state of Montana, but also in the nation and around the world. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.